I'm Abigail Martin. I'm Sam Fleming. Potentially history in the making. by the goalkeeper's gloves. Nashville with their first home goal. And you're listening to Bleeding Blue on Penalty Box Radio. Run Henry. He's to the 10. He's to the 5. He's to the end zone. Yes. Touchdown, Titans. Derek Henry just went 60. <laughs> the Music City Sports Experience. We're back. Episode three of Bleeding Blue here on Penalty Box Radio. It's, it's been a minute, but a lot's happened in hockey land, to say the least, here in Nashville with the Nashville Predators. Sam Fleming here with you. Abigail Martin back as well. Abigail, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I am good. Getting geared up, obviously watching the Stanley Cup Finals as we record this right now. And we have a special guest on the other side, the host of the Predator Way. And he and I actually did a co-podcast talking a little bit about the stadium series and uh, the trade deadline at the time. Boyd Ferris joins Bleeding Blue, the first guest on our podcast here. Boyd, welcome on. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be the first guest. It's great. It's great to be here talking with you guys. Absolutely. And a lot to talk about. Abigail was at a recent press conference with the Nashville Predators. Probably one of the biggest, I would say, news drops that happened that was very unexpected. So let's kick that off and talk about that, guys. Is Bill Haslam is now part of the ownership group with the Nashville Predators. Again, further solidifying this team is here to stay. Abigail, I know you were at the press conference, got a lot of great sound bites, not only from Haslam, but from David Poyle as well. Just talk about that conference and what your thoughts are and um, what you heard from the new minority owner here of the National Predators. I think you said it best. The best word to describe it was unexpected because before we even kicked off the press conference, they were like, you know, we're sorry to bring you in like this, but we didn't expect this news to drop. Um, I want to go ahead and say that there isn't a single deal that's even solidified yet. So there's nothing in writing. So Bill Haslam is not any part of the ownership ownership group just yet. Um, they're expected to sign that first piece for him in the fall and the multi-phase transaction for him to become the majority, majority owner, excuse me, will take place in three years from now. And then Herb Fritch will take a back seat. Um, but they were like, you know, we didn't expect this to happen. This got leaked out. And so we wanted to do this when all the contracts were signed, but that's not how things went. So they kind of just like took it with, went with their own, but it was, it was definitely interesting. He, you can tell he's a public speaker and has that sort of experience. Um, the biggest thing he said, he was a sports fan, obviously was a part of Knoxville, which I won't make a comment of that. Um, but he said he was a sports fan. His brother is an owner of the Cleveland Browns as well. But he said that that didn't really come to the decision-making of why he wanted to be in Nashville. Um, and Sean Henry and Herb Fritch, they started having the discussion of who's going to take over as the majority owner and potentially chairman in a few years. 
And they said that the most common things had to be that this person that replaced him would be local and they had to be active in the community because, quote, this is more than hockey. And so Herb said that he made three calls and not really knowing if someone was going to be interested in owning a sports team. But that talk that started about three months ago is what Haslam said. And he said it was the easiest yes that he's ever declined to in his life. Um, he wants to really make sure that this team stays in Nashville, which wasn't really up for debate with their contract with Bridgestone Arena. But it's just good to have people that know the area, that like the Nashville Predators, like the area. He said that he definitely wanted to be sure that the development around the area was increased as well. So as far as the financial side, I think he has that covered. But he also said that he wants to make sure that this team is competitive and they bring home a Stanley Cup. And apart from all of that, I'm sure we'll touch into it later, but everyone was a little bit obsessed about, upset about Roman Yossi not winning during the NHL awards. They were like, y'all should be pissed as a Preds fan because we think that he is the best defenseman and should have won. But we'll rest that aside for now. Um, I'm really interested to see what's next. And it sounds like it's going to go into good hands. I like the idea that it's going to be a slow process just to kind of learn the ropes, take a back seat, and then eventually be making those bigger shots. Yeah, and I think it's great to obviously have a, a local owner involved, a big local owner like Bill Haslam, who has a net worth, I believe, of $2.3 It was reported. But, boy, do you look at – I want to turn this to you because you look at where the Preds have been over the years. Not too long ago, there was a time where Jeff or Jim Blashiel, I believe was the name, was trying to move this team to Kansas City. And Nashville was on the verge of relocating. And we talked about the stadium series in our podcast and how much hockey has taken off. So your thoughts on seeing the Preds taking this local approach. I know Abigail gave some good quotes there, but I also looking at it coming forward, do you see this team maybe taking a big step here with Bridgestone Arena, even making it even better for the fan experience and for Preds fans in general? Yeah, and and really come to think about it too. I mean, they were very, very nearly moved to Hamilton, Ontario. I mean, it, it was almost signed, sealed, and delivered. And basically, it didn't happen because uh, it was Jim Balsilli actually started selling season tickets for a team he didn't actually own yet, which violated the terms of the purchasing process with the NHL and basically held up the sale long enough that a, that a local ownership group, which is in place today, was able to be found and actually go complete that purchase. So a uh, very interesting bit of history, but that was actually one of my biggest takeaways from uh, uh, Governor Haslam's speech and, and his, his quotes was, he wants to build up the area around Bridgestone even further. And I know Three or four years ago, there was some renderings released by a third-party architecture firm of sort of what an, an augmented, enhanced Bridgestone Arena could look like. But it was great to hear him sort of reiterate, like, that corner in downtown is a special place. And very few cities are able to have their arena right in the middle of their entertainment district. So being able to further utilize that space and you know, make it, make it bigger, make it more modern, kind of only further enhances both the value of the team, but also kind of what that means within the city of Nashville. So 
I, I think that's a great part. I was, I was glad to hear that he sort of called that out, that that's an area that should be both protected and enhanced. And that's something that is really to be watched going forward. Absolutely. And I'm very happy to see what Governor Haslam and the whole ownership group has in store or in their plans for this. And, you know, that was going to be a question I wanted to ask you to both is, you know, say it's within the next 10 years here, what would be the one thing that you would want to see this ownership group do, whether it be in that area around Bridgestone Arena or for the team to make this franchise take that next step? I think obviously improving that area around and expanding on it and growing the game of hockey even more here in Nashville would be something I'd love to see. But just for opinions from you two, what would you like to see this ownership group do within the next 10 years to help take the Predators to that next level as an NHL elite? That's a good one because that's something that I don't have the creative space to think about because whenever, like he said, talking about like, you know, we're on Broadway, we're in this such good area. It's like, what all do you do? I mean, but you can make it more of a hockey atmosphere. And I think um, when the SEC tournament comes into town, they do a great job. And I know that's through like other corporate partnerships as well, but they make it about basketball. They have, you know, you can shoot hoops, you can do whatever. So it's not just you look over and there's a pedal tavern and there's bachelorette parties and whatnot. Like you're there for the sport and you feel like you're there for the sport kind of something similar to like what the NHL events put on with uh, the stadium series and then the winter classic that the Preds were a part of. Those were great events. I mean, you were, it was hockey filled. And of course there were other things, but the, my favorite thing was having the dog adoptions walking around. I was so excited to see the puppies, but making it more of a hockey experience rather than just downtown for that older demographic for someone like I'm thinking my nine-year-old self when I was a fan I don't want to just see people that are drunk when I'm there. Like I want to have a good time and enjoy the sport itself. And I think that Nashville does a great way of always incorporating the community. So that's not a bad thing in any way, but just really enhancing the hockey atmosphere, because I think that that's went down since 2017. For me, I think kind of three things come to mind. Um, first is in terms of growing the game, more more sheets of ice i think it's it's great that the predators have invested around the city um, and and helped grow it in those areas then more sort of into the arena and arena space moving away from a national food vendor as much as possible and really embracing the local food culture like you look at the new nashville sc stadium and so many of their food vendors are local restaurants that are that have space there to to grow their own brands and be and really make it feel Nashville. I think that is something that is missing within the the especially the food at Bridgestone Arena. I think they could do better there. But then I think with growing the area around Bridgestone or enhancing that space if they could build that out to make it kind of an additional source of revenue for that ownership group, that might bring in more ability to lower ticket prices. And, you know, I know ticket prices are always a hot button issue in Nashville. Everybody loves to harken back to the olden days of the $35 ticket. But as it turns out, when you go to a Stanley Cup final, ticket prices are going to go up. So 
but at the same time, it is, it is expensive for a family of four to go see a game. And especially for a family of four to go to a bunch of games, which is really what you want to do is create those regular fans and using that space to create additional revenue kind of augments some of what they have to draw from the gate and may give a little more flexibility on tickets. I love that you mentioned the family of four because that's actually something that he mentioned. He was like, you know, I always picture a family of four. Are they deciding is the Preds game on Thursday night the best choice for how we're going to spend our night? And he wants to like make sure that that's what they do, whether that's from the game atmosphere, but ticket prices definitely comes into effect. Like, um, and I think that was perfect. The food venues that you were talking about with National Soccer Club. Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but getting like standing zone tickets are 25, 22 bucks. Yeah, 25 bucks, but also like season tickets for Nashville SC, full season, 18 games, plus priority for playoffs and cup matches, 300 bucks. I mean, that's that's a heck of a deal. And you look at how Nashville SC has taken off, and that's like the hottest ticket right now in Nashville. And they have embraced Nashville culture. I've got to say it's the best food I've ever had at a sporting event because it's local and it's daddy's hot dogs, corner pub, Prince's hot chicken, just to name a few, but that's stuff that's actually enjoyable to the Nashville community. But Abigail, you you've seen it from being there at the stadium to the environment. It's alive in Geodis park. That's what Bridgestone has lacked. As we said in our, on our first episode for the past couple of years, and watching the Stanley Cup, I obviously got to go see the Preds play in Tampa Bay this year and Thunder Alley. If anyone's ever been to Tampa Bay, the Lightning have really grown that around area around Emily Arena to be hockey interactive and have a, part, a band stage before the game, like a beach style culture with a tiki bar and everything. And also like different shooting things like where you can shoot pucks or play cornhole. It's Thunder Alley is kind of what I want Nashville to have out in front of Bridgestone Arena. Their own version of that would be something I'd love to see for sure. I have to ask the both of you, obviously going back with Nashville Soccer Club's atmosphere, because we've talked about it so much. Like I really don't think there's anything like it. Um, they have taken some of the Preds chants, for instance, uh, the goal chant, you know, do you suck? which is always super fun. I feel like that was one of my most fun parts because when I was nine, you're like, oh my gosh, I got to say the word sucks. It's so cool. But <laughs> going apart from that, saying fingers, I feel like that has, that was so popular when I was younger and has went down. But then this last season, they brought back the phone fingers that were fang fingers. And I was so confused. So I guess as far as that goes, would you be interested, be open to the idea of the Predators creating like newer, more modernized chants? Not necessarily the goalie chant. I think that one's perfect and everyone has that under control and, you know, uh, you know, seeing I like it, I love it. But as far as Fang Fingers, for example, would you be open to that changing or becoming to something that's more than a weird, crazy little, what, I don't even know how to make the sound, so I'm not even going to try, but would you be open to that changing? Yeah, I, I think so. I, you know, I've I've got young kids, and they love to do it. But they're young kids, of course, they love to do it. But I, I think there's definitely an opportunity to modernize, revamp some of the fan experience, and borrowing from kind of what that soccer atmosphere is like is honestly that's kind of what 
Predators games used to be is just this constant energy that you see similarly with Nashville SC games. There is just a bubbling energy that is always there. And finding a way to embrace some of that culture and concepts. Like I've always loved how much Nashville teams support each other publicly. And I think it was very cool that Nashville SC and then the supporters sections borrowed some of those aspects from the Predators. And I think the Predators fan base could absolutely do the same and use that opportunity to, again, tie those teams closer together, expand the sports market within the city and rebuild some of that atmosphere. And yeah, Fang Fingers, as much as it's sort of an OG Preds thing, could probably go away into something a little more modern. Yeah, I, I'm all for change and <clears throat> trying new stuff, but you, you've got to see what's been there for so long. It's tough to take that away. Um, and it would definitely take some getting used to, but I, I think about some of the chants at the Nashville SC game, like when Joe Willis will make a save and the fans will start uh, chanting, Joe says, no, you do something like that with UC Soros. But I, the one thing I would love them to revive if they're w- going a little different direction is when they used to do some of the giveaways at the Preds games, like the clappers or the thunder sticks or that stuff that would make noise in the arena and get the crowd involved. Sure. The rally towels are fantastic, but if you can get stuff in there that gets the fans excited or making noise, I think that would be awesome to bring back some good giveaways that get people into the game. Now, I, I would be interested in them embracing some new stuff from Nashville SC because you see what that environment's done with mixing their own versions of chance from the, the, the roadies. I mean, you look at that Atlanta United game that went into a rain delay, the party never stopped in there with their, with their drum line and everything underneath the stands and everybody's crowded around. And that's what the Preds are lacking is that, energy throughout the entire game so I'm open to trying new stuff it would definitely be difficult considering how many years Fang Fingers has been around but it could be that spark that the fans need to get back in there and make Bridgestone Arena the environment it was in that 2016-2017 run again. I think part of that goes back to ticket prices you have to make it more accessible to the average fan to go regularly. Like I'm, I'm a half season uh, a ticket holder and I mean, 20 games is a lot for me, but even that, if you could, you know, really, really push those partial or whole seasons at a, at a lower price and get some of those regular, regular kind of average, more average fan, less corporate fan, et cetera. And even if it's pushing certain sections, like a section 303, you know, that was such a great, has been such a great thing for the Predators fan base. And I hate that y'all's feeds are ahead of mine and I haven't seen what's happening. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, all three of us are watching the cup final game right now. And apparently I've got the, the, they both got the tortoise or I've got the tortoise and they both got the hare. (laughs) I'm like, I'm a solid 20 seconds behind and it's killing me right now. Um, (laughs) But, you know, take a couple more sections in the 300s and make them supporters sections and really drive home the 
if you want to be a you know the the rowdy you know soccer like fan and really bring that energy these are the sections you want to be in and I, I think there's some real opportunities to drive that drive that vibe back into the arena it's funny because like- at first when Sam asked this I was like I have no idea but now like hearing that my mom used to love the um the season ticket ambassador program where like she would be able to sell tickets and like get a portion of that would like pay whatever and like she went to Chicago one time and got to go see the Cubs play and I was like what the heck where's my ticket but just different things like that um would be really cool and I know I think it was Solomon was talking about it bringing back the old tickets that sounds so crazy but I'm also a paper person and I love having stuff like that but someone was like you know that's just not really like feasible but they give out programs so I mean realistically you could have your program that's got the rosters on it whatnot the little bottom of it is one of those like you like fold like an envelope and you have that ticket if you want that choice like especially for playoff games and maybe the first and the last game of the regular season I think that would be an excellent little tidbit to give out and whatnot yeah well, they I, could I, even I mean they, for people who are who are season ticket holders they could still mail you tickets even if you don't actually use them to go to the game that's true I don't know how often like if people would love that but I mean especially for those like special games I think mm-hmm. that'd be a good little thing and then you could even Preds could sell it for memorabilia I reckon maybe get a few of them signed donate it use Preds Foundation to get into it as well yeah, I've got my all-star game tickets from when it was here in Nashville for the skills competition and the game. And they're two of like the prettiest tickets I've ever seen. And I have them framed. And then I've got some of the old Stanley Cup ones. But I remember back in the day when they used to do the programs that were like a full-on booklet. And then you yeah. take the front and back cover and rip it off. And you had a poster of a player on there. Bring that stuff back. But I think there's plenty of things that can get the fans into it and transitioning the topic. Speaking of getting the fans into it, where Preds Twitter has been in a complete pandemonium and meltdown and maybe was the headliner of that Bill Haslam press conference was not Bill Haslam. It was David Poyle and what he had to say about a certain Philip Forsberg. Now, Abigail, you got some really good quotes from that one. Um, David Poyle seems pretty confident still, but there's some anxiety there. Talk to me a little bit about what you heard from GM David Poyle. So it was a little bit of both. I mainly spent my time with Bill Hassan. So I'm looking after uh, Teresa Walker and Robbie Stanley, who were also there, because I got there at the end of the conversation with the numbers and the Landeskog example. Um, which I'll touch on that in just a second. But according to Teresa, um, General Manager David Poyle made it clear that the Preds are still negotiating with Forsberg. Nashville can offer Forsberg an eight-year deal. Other NHL teams can only offer seven. And then his example with Landeskog was um, testing free agency. Poyle was like, you know, last year, whenever he was going through it, he couldn't reach a deal. He was like, I don't know what negotiations look like. He was like, but it was a day or two where he was dipping his toe into free agency, likely seeing what numbers he could get out of it. And he probably, this is me talking on him, probably got some numbers, kind of like if you're looking for a job and you're like, oh, they're going to give me 21. And you're like, oh, you give me 21 and match it or I'm walking. And I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if that's what Forsberg did. 
And he did say, you know, Forsberg could decide to go look for a day or two and then come back to us. Um, but he said he remained optimistic, but he also said he was concerned and he was absolutely concerned. And he would have been very good if we could have had this done a lot earlier, which comes down to his job. I can't do that. Sam can't do that. Boy can't do that. That's something that he had to do. And I think everybody and their mother was like, get Forsberg signed before this deadline goes past and you lose any sort of leverage that you have. And then um, he said they're in a situation where they're formulating all sorts of different plans. He listed like A through D were all the plans that he had in mind and that it's not where he wants to be. Of course, it's not where you want to be. That's why we're supposed to get it done earlier. And of course, he took that longer than usual lap following their last game against Colorado when they were um, swept. So it worries fans, of course, but you know, he's doing things right now. He was at CMA Fest. He just made a huge donation to the Predators Fund. He says that he wants to be here. Nashville says they want him. It really is going to come down to money as far as deals and bonuses and whatnot. I So July 13th is when at 11 a.m. our time will be when free agency opens. It wouldn't surprise me that he does dip his toe and then they get something done maybe the 15th or the 14th or maybe, I mean, because if Forsberg walks away, that's going to be huge because then you have to think of backup plans because we were talking about this earlier. It's not just Forsberg that needs to be handled. This team still needs other pieces to put them in contention for a cup where they're not just sliding in and where they can go past the first round, which they haven't done in a few years. I feel like I'm going on a rant now, but again, we're in the same place where we were earlier. No word. They each say they want to be there, but you know, the Kaching is not following. I feel like we're playing like Monopoly and just waiting for that $200 to collect, go and pass and whatnot, but I'm done. So my, my takeaway out of the last few days that that press conference included, or, or really let's, let's take it back to CMA Fest, in, including the press conference. I, to me, it is both sides are in their own way negotiating through the media. And it's Forsberg negotiating through the media saying, see, see how much I like to be here. See how much everybody wants me here. You, you want to keep me here, right? So you, you got to pay me to keep me here because, you know, look at me, I'm everywhere. Sort of a, a fairly subtle negotiating through the media. And, you know, Poyle has the equivalent way because he's been doing this for such a long time of saying a lot while saying very little or also saying very little while saying a lot. And, you know, I, I feel like some of that was a, a bit of a, okay, we're, you know, we're coming down to the wire. How much do you really want to be here? You know, we're, you know, we, we really want to have you, but it's kind of on you, which it's absolutely not. It's entirely on oil, but that's, you know, I, I, to me, it was a little bit of a back and forth through the media you know, sort of subtle, you know, each, each person is kind of playing their hand right now. Um, but it, exactly to the point you made, Abigail, they're not like Colorado was with Landis Cog in the sense that Landis Cog was the kind of the one piece they needed to keep where the Predators need, need to keep Forsberg and do more, which could be done at the draft, could be done in free agency, but it's not just one move. 
So letting that one move with Forsberg drag longer just oh just adds more complexity to all the other things that need to take place. I think you both make really good points there that it is really going through the media and both sides. And, you know, when I look at it, Boyd, you put out a tweet earlier today that I thought was spot on of how this looks and the Landis Cog situation. I think what happened with Landis Cog, I can't remember because they've got McKinnon, they've got Kadri, they've got McCarr. Heck, that's why they're in the Stanley Cup finals. They're a loaded team with guys that aren't even on the top end of the payroll right now in the NHL because they all just want to win. Landis Cog, I think, because some people with free agency, they don't really know that even before the period actually opens where you can sign, you can negotiate with teams for a couple days before. And I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Landis Cog. I can't remember. I think he signed. They got rid of that rule. Okay. The, the, I, the week long courting, the uh, legalized cheating period. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I believe they got rid of that with the last CBA. Okay. Cause I can't remember if Landis Cog signed like the night before, because I remember Preds fans were talking about, Hey, let's go get Landis Cog. And I mean, I, Landis Cog's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think the money that he was apparently wanting was well worth it. And he took the hometown discount, but I look at, Forsberg and I think your guys are exactly right this team needs Philip Forsberg and then some which there's plenty of free agency options out there which we'll get to here at the end of this and also some players that the Preds have already signed back but for me I I think the way Boyd you put it in that tweet there's two ways I see this ending one is these teams come to a like meet in the middle mutual agreement here and they both get the best of both scenarios Forsberg stays he gets a lot of money or they're playing cat and mouse right now and they're going to give him to Phillips demands because if Philip Forsberg does not come back to this team David Poyle is on the chopping block he needs to be at least because he put his job on the line with this not trading Forsberg at the potential of losing him, but he doesn't want another Ryan Suter 2.0. And this one would be way worse in a sense, because this is a franchise face that the Preds got in a heck of a trade, trading away Michael Latta and Martin Erat, making George McPhee look dumb for that trade. But now it's on David Poyle to make that solidified. And I think the Preds, the cap is going up. So there's going to be more cap space. There's going to be some guys that, yes, while they don't have much of a cap hit, are probably not going to be back on the roster next year. Talking Matt Benning, Ben Harper, Nick Cousins, Luke Cunning. So it opens up a little bit more cap space. In my eyes, yes, Roman Yossi's getting paid a lot of money. If you have to pay Philip Forsberg just that little bit more than Yossi to keep him here, you got to do it because you're going to have the cap space to work with to add more guys to it. It's Philip Forsberg and then some, but Philip Forsberg is the key part to taking this team to the next level outside of what we want ownership to do as well. It's got to be a product on the ice as well, too. Yeah, I I agree. And especially because 
So when Haslam was talking, he was like, you know, I'm not going to tell Poyle how to do his job. He did not mention Forsberg one bit. He did say like, you know, I don't plan to tell Poyle how to do his job. I'm not going to call him up now when free agency hits and be like, get so-and-so. I'm not going to call him up in three years and say, hey, get so-and-so. That's his thing to deal with. How true will that be in a few years? I don't know. Not a genie. Wish I was. Be rich. Getting the money that Philip Forsberg wants and then some. But I just, it's so annoying because we're just stuck in this one spot of, is he going to sign? Is he not going to sign? What is life going to look like without him? I like, it's so hard. And I know we said we would touch on it, but it's so hard to think of who all do you put in with Forsberg here, with Forsberg not here. Because there's so many different other moving pieces that were you still... I agree with you. I believe, you know, people like Cunnan, Harper are gone. But Cunnan also played every single game this year. I don't know. It's, you just never know. I wish I was in the mind of Hines as well. But as far as. It's always, it's always hard to bet against a player that the coach seems to implicitly trust, whether or not they actually produce anything. Correct. Like, from the obvious standpoint, you're like, yeah, of course, gone, toodaloo, bye, bye, bye. But reality, maybe not, maybe so. Might do some silly business and, I don't know, call Grimaldi back or something whenever he's healed. Like, I have no idea that everything is so, like, up in the air at sometimes. I have no idea what to expect. But Forsberg's just such a big piece, and I just, it just rubs me so wrong. It's so frustrating, and I wonder, though, from the business standpoint, if Yost would have an issue if Forsberg did get paid a little bit more than he would. Would that bring a team chemistry option into it, or is he going to be like, oh, yeah, it's chill, or how far that goes into effect? From, from everything I've, I've ever heard on that front, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some exception to this somewhere, but from everything I've ever heard, players understand it's a business and players want other players to get paid. And I mean, from, from everything we've known about Yossi, I would find that to be an interesting deviation from what we sort of understand about his character mm-hmm. to get his ego bruised if someone else got paid more than him. And, and along that same line, I think it's absolutely silly if, if the Predators are setting a artificial you can't get paid more than Yossi though let's be real Forsberg's not worth more than Yossi at least not by much if at all um so you know putting all those things together I mean I I I keep thinking back to the the commentary that Elliot Friedman has made pretty much all through the end of the season end of the summer which is Philip Forsberg is a predator He's just part of this team and they'll find a way to get it done. I, I, I really have a hard time believing Poyle just gives up and says, can't do it and lets him walk. So do y'all both think that he's going to blink and Forsberg resigns at whatever price he wants? 100%. I, I think it's, it's Forsberg dictates the terms he'll be a national predator next year and Poyle's going to give him what he wants. I, I think that's my opinion. Absolutely. My, my only caveat would be unless Forsberg is asking for something completely outside market value, mm-hmm. 
you know, if he's asking for $11 million a year. Right. For the sake yeah. of argument. You can't give him that. And that would actually be almost even worse because you have to would have you would have to have known that he was asking that much back at the trade deadline. And if you weren't willing to pay it then, you're not willing to pay it now. Okay, don't sign a bad contract. But if you knew that, man, you really should have traded him. Right. <laughs> and that's you know, that that's where that's you know, I, I think I share this opinion with a lot of people and I was, I have not been on the same fire coil train that a lot of people have, <laughs> but I, I said it at the trade deadline. I said it at the end of the season. I'll say it again. Now, if, if he didn't move Forsberg at this, you know, and I'm not going to relitigate the past couple of years and moves that weren't made then, but if he didn't trade Forsberg, didn't resign him and loses him for nothing, that probably should cost Portland's job because that's inexcusable to lose a player of that caliber and get nothing in return. Especially when they're at a point now where they're supposed to be competitive consistently, whether that degree fluctuates, you know, that's something, that's a different topic that I know we could talk about forever. I know we've had this chat multiple times, but with you talking about that, it brings me back to, I believe it was Hines and Poyles' end of the season um, press conference. And Poyle was like, I want you to understand that a management perspective, we're looking at the next three to five years and Hines' job is to look day to day. And he mentioned that because he was like, you know, everyone was upset with, you know, Ellis leaving. If Ellis hadn't have left, we wouldn't have had cap space to be at the point where we could offer something to Forsberg. So this thought's always been in the back of their mind, of course. I mean, it kind of has to be. I, this is where I sit weird because I've heard so many like inside rumors, whatever, saying that he's going to walk. He's gone. And I, I'm open to that idea because I think it's obviously a huge possibility. But at the same time, just hearing from what Poyle has said, Forsberg being very active, he could think that he has, you pointed the number of 11. He could have an 11 number in his head. And then he walks to look at free agency and they humble him really fast. And then he's like, okay, maybe let's wind down the numbers a little bit. That could be a huge possibility. And then you look at like different bonuses, like, you know, hit 30 goals per this season and boom, there's a few extra other thousand dollars, whatnot. That could be something that's realistic, which it's Philip Forsberg. He should hit those marks anyways. It's what he's supposed to get paid for. So that wouldn't surprise me either. But I think as far as like Tennessee fans as a collective, whether it's Titans or the Vols or Vanderbilt or the Prez, whatnot, so many fans have this expectation of being very hopeful and then it just gets wiped away from them super fast. So I think that's where a lot of people are also like super hesitant to buy in that he's going to stay, that he's not. Well, and I think people are clouded a little bit by Poyle's trade history, which admittedly is sketchy the past few years. At the same time, his re-signing history is actually very good. You know, outside of, you know, Ryan Suter, basically. The players that he's wanted to re-sign, he has gotten re-signed. And typically at a value where you look at it and go, huh, it's pretty good. So he's, he's a good negotiator. 
there, there's absolutely no doubt about it. But he's he's between a rock and a hard place on this one, and I'm I'm not sure he has. I'm not sure he has the ammo to drive it down to where he wants it. And he's, he's going to have to fold to keep him in because this team that is weirdly better set up to compete than to rebuild today makes that job that much harder if Forsberg leaves. And I think the other thing too, that's rumored and I would not be shocked is that I think Forsberg wants a no movement clause in that contract if he stays. And, and I think you've got to give him that as well, because he's, he's a backbone and Abigail, I think you and I said it on a podcast that if Roman Yossi ever hangs up the skates, your next captain, as long as he's still playing, should be Philip Forsberg. If he's still here. And, and I agree with that re-sign history. And we're actually going to touch on that here in just a second with some players. Poyle's good about getting deals done, getting guys to stick around. You know, that summer off-season where after the Stanley Cup finals, where you had a bunch of guys who were free agents, every single one of them signed back. Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, Pontus Auberg, Freddie Gaudreau, Austin Watson – all those sorrows, all those guys got contract extensions. And you look at last year, Mikhail Granlund, who we thought was going to walk five-year deal comes back. I, I think Poyle can get this done. And I think Forsberg will want to stick around here, but they have got to agree on something where they can build around some pieces, which we'll touch on with what we would ideally want in free agency I want to focus on some positives, though. Two players have re-signed back for the National Predators. Jeremy Lazon, four years, $8 million and a $2 million per year average. Cody Glass on a prove-it deal, a one-year two-way deal, which I actually really like. I'll start, because I want your opinions on both of these deals. I'll start with Lazon. I know some people. Well, the term, yes, a little long at four years, but the cap hit, I'm not mad about at $2 Because once Jeremy Lazon got in this lineup and started finding his form, he was actually a very solid third-pairing defenseman. And I think he's a bruising-style player that's a lot more mobile than a guy like Mark Boriecki that can play an offensive game but also plays a very defensive game as well. And he's more of a stay-at-home kind of guy on that third pairing. Plus, Boriecki can filter in if you need him. But, Boyd, I think this is something you and I talked about with the term. You really hope that Lazon could be that guy that plays alongside a Jeremy Davies or a David Ference. I, I like this deal based on what Poyle said he, when he traded for him. This is a guy that I want to sign back and is a part of our future here. And he did just that because he's still very young. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a couple things working in Lazan's favor in, in that sense. Um, when Carrier got hurt, Lazan bumped up to the second pair alongside Ekholm and played on the right side. So he can flex up to a top four role and not be a detriment. He can play his offhand, which given outside of I basically Ryan Ufko and Luke Prokop, the entirety of the Predators 
defensive prospect pool is left-handed. So having someone who can play the right side is mildly relevant. Um, and as you said, he's still young and it's $2 million per. I, I probably wouldn't have done four years in my not a GM headspace, but for a player of that flexibility, I mean, he's almost like, in a weird way, a defensive yarn croak. We signed yarn croak long-term at $2 million because he could do a variety of things in the forward core. That's basically what they're saying with Lazan. He can play different roles. He can do different things. He can float up and down the lineup. That's, that's a worthwhile bet at $2 million. I'm right there with you because it's the year part of it, eh, money side of it, cool. Cool beans, great. And y'all were talking about having the flexibility to jump from different lines. And that's something that this that the spread team has used a lot in the past is like testing the waters and seeing like who goes best where. And then you have, you know, an unfortunate circumstance where a player's injured or whatnot. And of course with different sicknesses, like there's so many different possibilities where you still have, you can't use excuses, especially when it comes to playoff time. I, it does, no one cares if you broke your arm, if you broke your leg, like these players are typically told to play through it. But if it's an instance where it's like COVID or something, no one cares for the excuses. You have to have someone that can step up and be that person. And he's young, he's 25. He's already shown that he can do different things. So you give him a few years to stay within the system. He seems to be bought in with the identity of this organization. And so it can be exactly who you want him to be as long as you put in the time to be with it. And it's not a bad piece either. It's better than Ben Harper. I, I like the deal, obviously, because it is if you ever have to move on from it, it's not a very heavy contract whatsoever. Um, but I think he's a solid piece to put back there and you rotate some younger guys in eventually Boryaki, just a one-year contract under a million uh, that he re-signed, but you give Davies. And I really want to see David Ferentz get a shot here in Nashville this year. Yes. He was a very good defenseman at Boston a lot of people spoke very highly of him. I think he could be a great future piece. Like, I mean, talk about Carrier. He was on the NHL's first team, all rookie, all-star team this year. He had an impressive season back there. And I think the Preds' future is bright on the defensive side. Now it's switching it, it to the – It's easy to forget that Carrier was the second highest scoring defenseman on the Predators roster. Right. I'm very much on the ice when positive – now let's switch it over because here's a guy who when he got drafted by the Vegas Golden Knights they had a lot of high expectations he was a top 10 pick for the Golden Knights and then got shuffled around obviously in that Ellis Nolan Patrick trade and then they flipped Patrick for Cody Glass while he maybe didn't have the offensive impact under John Hines when he played you definitely noticed Cody Glass while he was out there. He just didn't get the opportunities. Reminds me of Philip Forsberg, speak of which, under Barry Trotz all those years ago. He was never given the opportunities to shine. Now that you give him this one-year prove-it-to-us deal, 
do you guys think Cody Glass, if he gets the opportunities in Nashville, say a third line center, maybe if you need him up in the second line, you put him with Tomasino and Tolvin in, which worked really well. Do you think Cody Glass could be a guy that you eventually see in the Nashville top six if he proves it this year? Yes. I mean, short version. Um, What I saw at the end of the season when he got his late season call up compared to at the beginning of the season or in training camp, he was a different player. He's a different player. His confidence with the puck, it's easy to forget. He's a pretty big guy. So he's really strong on the puck. He actually reminds me a lot of Ryan Johansson. And listening to some comments from Carl Taylor, a lot of the same kind of comments are made about Cody Glass that have been made about Ryan Johansson. Is he's big, he carries the puck well, but he needs to be more selfish and, and shoot the puck because he has a great shot. But if he continues on the trajectory he's been on and you know, he, he got kind of a slow start in Milwaukee, kind of understandable. He was, you know, not super thrilled about being sent down, but he ended up having a tremendous season in Milwaukee. And I believe by the end of the season, he was wearing an A. So the, the growth that he showed there was certainly tangible and palpable. And the, the last few games or the games towards the end of the season where he got back up into Nashville, you could, you could see a difference. And if that trajectory continues, he can absolutely make an impact at the NHL level. There's just a, a bit of consistency and just opportunity that needs to come from that. You mentioned back whenever Forsberg got his start under Trotz. So that was back in 2012, 2013. Forsberg played in five games and he registered an assist, which was his gonna, gonna be his only point. For Cody, right now, he's 23. Wrapping up, Milwaukee had 14 goals, 48 assists, 62 points in 66 games in this past season for his third full professional season. You were talking about his size, six foot three, 206 pound, center ranked among the AHL's leaders and assist for fifth and points where he was tied for 15th. And it was Milwaukee's team leader in both categories. His 62 points, this is back to 2011-2012. So we're gonna jump back a little bit. His 62 points were the most by an ad skater since 2011-2012. And then you add more with 2008-2009. So it's easy for you to think like, oh, look, he used to be good, is he plateauing? It's a matter of getting into a good system. At the NHL level, I agree that he did perform well. I'm kind of thinking like a Tolvanen scenario, like you get him, not that you think like, so whenever Tolvanen came in, everyone was like, this is a god. He's going to come in and he's going to be Connor McDavid on steroids. That's not what happened. Um, he went back and forth for a little while. He had to get himself put up and just really working on his game, working on you know what his body looked like for as far as strength goes. He only appeared in eight regular season games for the Preds with 11.25 of ice time, and he registered his first point with the organization April 16th versus Chicago. So kind of funny that the two players that we were comparing with Forsberg and Glass, it's a matter of a five and eight game differential, but they each have a point. 
not that that matters too much. Just thought that was interesting. Um, but I think he could, he definitely has it in him as far as the mindset for him is in the right spot, because going back to Tolvanen, everyone thought, you know, he had his ego was up here, then it was brought down and it just kind of fluctuated. And it's a matter of keeping yourself straight. And as long as he can buy in with the identity, again, he's young, he's 23. He can be groomed to be that player that you want him to be. And as long as he's flexible and working on it, you're fine. I mean, but it is a prove it to me deal. He has it right now or he doesn't. That's just kind of how it goes. But even going back to if he ends up with Carl Taylor in that system for a while before he gets brought back up, he's in a good spot. And I trust Milwaukee as well. Yeah, and speaking of another guy, you know, I, I love the deal with Cody Glass. I, I hope he gets more opportunities this year. I was a big fan of when the Preds even made that trade for him because he's a great potential prospect and still has his whole career ahead of him. Another guy that I think a lot of people don't talk about that's a free agent for the, the Preds is Yakov Trenin. He's, he's an RFA right now. Do I think we have the situation on our hands where Trenin's like in this – fold where he could walk or where he could stay I don't think so I think he would is a guy Nashville wants to keep because he's not the most expensive style player but he's a player that you need in that lineup because he brings grit and he brings offensive mindset you look at that game against Colorado game four he was probably the best player on the ice for both teams I, I would even say that it's a bold statement he, and he, maybe he might have been the best predator of that entire series very true. Him and Connor Ingram, even though Connor Ingram maybe didn't have the best stat line in the end, stood on his head to give the Preds a chance. I, I think for the Preds, they've got to give Trenton, you know, a decent term, you would expect. Um, but when we look at this, this transitions into a question that I wanted to ask both of you and Boyd brought up as we were getting ready to record this is, what would your ideal offseason? We all know Phil Forsberg is probably top of our lists, but in terms of free agency, what would your ideal offseason? You can name a player, you can name a position for the Preds. I'll start with mine, and it's a player. I've named several players, you know, Max Domi's out there and Andre Burkowski. But watching the playoffs, there's one guy that I would love in a Preds jersey, and it might be my following of the Tampa Bay Lightning coming out. He did just score the game winner to keep the Bolts alive, speaking of which. Get Andre Palat in a Nashville Predators jersey. That's one of my – it doesn't have to be a long-term deal, but Tampa's not going to have that much cap space to sign a guy like that. He's a fantastic player that can produce in the regular season would almost be like a Craig Smith in my eyes, maybe a little bit upscale Craig Smith in that spot. Cause he can put a lot of goals on the board, but also performs in the playoffs. I would take a Palat or a Domi. Heck I've even thrown out there Jacob Chikrin's name. If you want to really make that defensive juggernaut again, but I think it's gotta be offensive focused at least is what I would say is like kind of the general thing in the off season with a guy like a Pilat or a Burakowski. Heck, you could even go for a Kadri if you really wanted to. But I would say more Andre Pilat would kind of be my ideal forward in that situation. So I agree. It has to be offensive focused. Um, 
yeah, Forsberg's obviously number one. What what really comes in after that is the Predators as an overall roster, while they finished exceedingly well. I mean, they they finished their chances like almost nobody else in the league. But they did not generate offense. They were middle to below average offensive generating team and possession team. And you saw against Colorado, when you got a team that could clog it up, shut down the finishing, not give up those high danger chances that the Predators finished so well, they didn't have volume to make up for it. They couldn't generate possession and they got absolutely folded in half. So if, if you're looking at the, the type of player you need to add, you're really looking at some type of play driving forward to help that second line. And a, a, a couple of names come to mind. You know, if, if, if you want to go big, you know, you could go someone like, you know, you could try to make a trade for Patrick Line or a trade for Alex Debrinkit, Brock Besser, you know, all, all high-end scoring talents. I'm, I'm always a fan of go out and make the big move, make the splash. So I'm, I'm, I think those would be very interesting. If, if those deals just don't materialize, I think there's some really interesting second tier, either free agent or trade opportunities. Uh, you mentioned Max Domi. I was, I'm still mad that the Predators didn't trade for him at the trade deadline because Carolina basically got him for nothing. And he was, he was spectacular for Carolina down the stretch. So Max Domi is definitely someone I would look at. Nino Niederreiter was basically like Valerie, Valerie Nachushkin light for Carolina. He would, he's a a great possession and, and defensive forward who would, who would make a good second line addition. The other name that I'm really thinking about that I think would be great on the Predator second line is if they could pry Jesse Pulley out of Edmonton. He is a tremendous play driver. He's defensively responsible, does so many good things on the ice, just had a really bad luck finishing season. Where have we heard of that before, Ellie Tolvanen? So I think that would be another interesting way to augment that second line with a play driver, potentially with a scorer. You assume you're going to get, you know, 80% of what you got from either Granlund or Johansson on that second line. Plus you're thinking of probably Philip Tomasino jumping from a 30 point player to a 45, 50 point player. So adding another solid piece on that second line could really turn what was a, a good offense in terms of finishing into a well-rounded and almost elite offense overall. Y'all are going to hate me because I'm going to take a step back from this conversation and go to exactly what we just said we were going to finish up with the talk of Philip Forsberg, only because I have some tea to spill. Um, I'm hearing that the tone of voice has changed a good bit and that they sound excited to hear offers from other teams and sound prepared to move if they find one that they like. 
Forsberg has made note of wanting to win, and this person's kind of comparing it to Gronk. Imagine, you know, wanting to chase a championship right now and makes it seem that he's going to let himself at least hit the market. But it sounds like the Preds aren't really wanting to negotiate, aren't negotiating right now. It like they're just still hitting a standpoint. And so I think that goes back to Sam, we talked about on an earlier episode, like pulling a LeBron and say, this is who I want, this is who you're going to give me, or even if it's a matter of getting humbled very quickly. But this is exactly what I expected from Forsberg was to, he has to decide, I wrote it in an article, but he has to decide if he wants to win now in the next two years, which would mean he would leave, or if he's willing to trust this organization to bring in players that are going to bring a championship here. He has to decide if he's going to want to be that focal point and remain, remain at the center of the franchise in order to get this team built for him, if he trusts that. And if not, he's going to walk. So I'll leave it at that. Um, I had to share that little tidbit. I swear I called it, but it's fine. No one listens to me. One day, men will listen. <laughs> I feel like I go on this every single time. Like Even if I'm doing play-by-play, I'm like, if y'all would listen to me, y'all would score. Or he wouldn't. He wouldn't score from the blue line, but whatever. Maybe one day people will learn. Um, as far as throwing names out, you know, I laughed at you and said that I wanted Kachuk in a Predators jersey. And you're like, oh. <laughs> um, but I mean, get someone that gets Harper out, please. Um, Benning, gone, which I think is going to happen anyways, but have someone that can do better. The bar was set kind of low have someone that's not going to be a liability whenever they're out on the ice for their two minutes of a time and you're going to be much better off and especially going through like the transition game and whatnot um but you have to have people that are offensively minded that are willing to step in be flexible going around maybe taking a step up if they do end up having to draft not draft but if they end up having to pick a bigger name to replace Forsberg, which is what it might come down to. I mean, that's really just what I'm stuck on is I don't, I've given names before, but now it's even more confusing. And there's just, I'm looking through the list and there's so many people that I was like, yeah, maybe it could be good. Maybe it could be good. But just keep in mind that this team has said, we're not going to pick a player just because like, oh, they're good. They have to fit our brand, they have to fit our identity and our system. So that's also something to keep in mind. Um, I'll be surprised what, how this unfolds and at what point contracts for free agency are gonna start coming through. But that first big piece is Philip Forsberg because that's gonna be the biggest part of it. And so I, by delaying that process, you're really just putting yourself in a hole. Yeah. I. I... I like the commentary of Forsberg saying, show me what you're going to do. Because that really was the, the focal point of Poyle's end of season press conference was we're willing to spend at the cap. We're going to do what we have to do to make this team a contender. I think the NHL draft weekend could end up being very very interesting because that's historically where a lot of deals can get done because everybody has cap space or assumes to have cap space 
But if you're thinking about Hoyle has to show something in those days leading up to free agency, that's your chance to do it. Is that those, those couple days to swing a deal that shows Forsberg, we are going to go and, you know, we're, we're really about to try and go do this right now. And that's what it might take. And also, I mean, I just, negotiations work on deadlines. We were, we were, we were talking about Landis Gog earlier. I, I went and looked it up. He, he signed the night before free agency. So Sam, good call. You, you nailed that one. Um, basically, there got to be a deadline and Colorado said, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you what you're asking. And if, if Poyle shows, shows a hand a little bit in that, you know, in that run up to free agency through the draft and then makes the appropriate phone call to say, all right, here's what you're asking for. This is what we got. Let's go do it. You know, things can always change with one phone call, but throws a pin across the room. <laughs> Catch, sign the papers. Here we go. <laughs> do it right here, right now. So I liked the Debrinket trade idea because Alex Debrinket's a, a good player that I could see fitting in Nashville's system, but I want to throw another name. And it's one that came up kind of out of nowhere, I would say, but doesn't shock me why it did. There's one year left on his deal on a team that's kind of in a little bit of chaos right now. Star player that's going to be out for half the season next year. Coach just got fired out of nowhere up there. Referring to the Boston Bruins and referring to David Posternak. Pasternak has one year left on his deal. He's 26 years old at a cap hit of about 6.7 million. Now it's a one-year deal left in there and you could try to re-sign him. Would you, if you're the Preds, look into potentially, because Pasternak's an elite player, if for some reason Forsberg, well, I'll throw it this way. Even if maybe Forsberg does walk, but heck, if he stays, do you say, hey, look, we're going to go get you another superstar here. We're going to go get David Posternock. If you're the Preds, is this a risk in a win-now mentality that you take with all that cap space and go try to get David Posternock? trying to move lines around in my head excuse me while my brain is put to work now that I'm on summer break and my brain cells are having to move so thank you so much for that Sam um <laughs> so as far as that commentary goes something that I think of off the top of my head everyone says that pasta looks like Jack Harlow so maybe some people could be very happy and that could be a different fan element for some for some people if that's your vibe you know you can laugh Sam it's okay laugh out loud I am laughing I'm, 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 thank you <laughs> You have to give me a second to let my brain work. Figure out who's going to go where or whatnot. I mean, I like the idea. Do I know what he's like in the locker room? And if his headspace can shrink, probably? No, I don't know that. Um, that would answer a lot of questions. But it also 
comes down to Will Phillip feels like he's getting re-signed just to get overplayed and outplayed. You know, like, will that hurt his ego or is that going to be a, you can get somebody, but not someone as good or better than me. Like, you know, hit the bar a little bit lower, but I mean, I'm not opposed to it. It sounds pretty cool. I like the idea of pasta. If David Pasternak is actually available and I'm not entirely convinced he is, you a hundred percent make that phone call. I mean, if, if, if I'm in Poyle's shoes right now, I'm, I'm looking at, I mean, I'm not looking at the trade list because you're talking to the other GMs, you know, who's available and who's not, but I'm calling on line A, I'm calling on Debrinkit, I'm calling on Pasternak, I'm calling on Brock Besser. And I'm understanding what it would take to acquire any one of those players. I mean, my, my, the trade in the back of my head that I keep coming back to that is probably wildly unrealistic is I would trade if I was going to go get line A, for example, I would love to have line A. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) Fabro, possibly some other prospect, which would hurt, but it's line A. He's 24 and scores goals in his sleep. Fabro, a prospect, a 2023 first and a 2022 third to get a 24-year-old RFA who scores in buckets. It's a lot to give up, but turns out if you want a good player like that, they don't come cheap. So I'm, I'm trying to think back to who it was that got traded recently. He was, you know, kind of a top-end scorer, and that's basically what it took the equivalent of two first round picks and a player. And, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of deal you have to make. And the predators don't need middle sixers. They need another top flight player. They're not, they're not one piece away. They're not an above average piece away. They are a very good player to take them above where they are right now. Well, then as far as that, what would you think would replace, who would you think would replace Fabro? Because obviously this team needs a little extra help on the defensive side as well. Mm-hmm. And that comes with needing to have speed and whatnot and even being a two-rounder. Sam, why is your finger raised like we're in middle school? Because I got an answer to that one right oh, away. That's good. Ooh. I avoided your question. So hit me with a big dog. You trade for Jacob Chickren at that point. So you make another another aggressively expensive trade? Absolutely. I, I would. What are you throwing uh, in there? That that one I'd have to really think about the terms of, but like Chikrin would be an ideal guy in that scenario to go for because he doesn't have a huge cap hit. He's got a $3.6 million cap hit. Like he wants out of Arizona. Now, I don't know what the Coyotes – do you give him a first rounder? I'm not sure. Do you give him a couple prospects? That's where, like Boyd was saying, top level players, you got to feel out the market and see where it goes. I I would say in that instance, though, you're going to be leaning on if you don't go out and trade for another defenseman or go sign somebody. Heck, John Klingberg is out there on the market as well as a defenseman, too. 
do you start to build within and trust Jeremy Davies and David Ference at that point? Maybe, you know, that's what I would hope for. Would I love to get, you know, Chikorin? Absolutely. Or Klingberg? Sure. But you might have to go from within because you still have Roman Yossi. You still have Matias Ekholm. You still have Alexander Carrier, Jeremy Lazan as well. It might not be the defense that you, but that you once had, but I will say this too, Dante Fabro has kind of been up and down. It's been a roller coaster with Fabro as a late. I, I would not be afraid with a deal with like a line A. He sort of picked up his play because he had that stint where he's a little bit lazier. Now he's finding his form again. Brock Besser would be phenomenal. He's played super well in Vancouver. He just needs a better system. I, I read somewhere that Vancouver is willing to move on from everybody but Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen at that point. I would say Besser would be a good one. Debrinkit would be good. If Posternox available, there should be no doubts there. But, you know, if you move from Fabro do you take a run at a chicken with that low a cap hit? If you have the assets, absolutely. If not, build with build from within and give Jeremy Davies and David Ferris a chance to play. My defensive name, as I, I was scrambling to check this while you guys were talking, to bring in a right-handed defenseman who plays defense to play alongside Roman Yossi. Jay Weber. Say what? Jay Weber. <laughs> Jay Weber. <laughs> go, 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 go trade for his contract. <laughs> um, but a, a player that has shown out in these playoffs and especially in the Stanley Cup final, Josh Manson. Uh, He's a UFA. Colorado probably can't afford him. You can probably get him for a pretty reasonable contract. You, you have the cap space. He can play the defensively responsible role next to Yossi. He's a decent enough puck mover. Carrier and Ekholm stay together. That frees up Fabro as a trade piece to go get another forward. Yes, I treat the NHL like a video game. I, I yeah. like that deal. Okay, sounds like we made the National Predators roster. Let's get it. <laughs> it up, boys. So let, let's let's end this off with with if it's a trade and it's a Ford, boy, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I know your answer, but just to say it again, who would your desired piece be? If it's a trade, and I'm I'm going to caveat by saying I assume Pasternak is not available because. That should be the number one, regardless. In terms of being available and adding something that the Predators have some of, but need a lot more of, which is goal scoring, I would go Patrick Lanny. I've always said, and I think ever since when the Preds played Winnipeg, it was like so annoying. Like the kid always, I say kid, he's older than me. He always scores. It's always a laser. Like, it's annoying, and you said this best with Kachuk, Sam, but, like, you hate to play against him, but you would love it if he was on your team. This is why I'm looking at Matthew Kachuk, by the way, so I hope that makes you feel very happy. 
Um, and if, if the Preds got Kachuk, I'd get you a jersey. I want you to know that. I'll say this for the second time. But Lenny's just he's, – he's good. I mean, you just can't – you got to give it to him. I mean, this – I take it as four he's going to walk. Right. He's big. Fits the like, style. Exactly. That's where I was going to go next. I don't think it hurts that he has that, like, chippy sort of mentality about him sometimes in a way that's disciplined where it would fit into this identity of being the blue-collared guy that no one expects, and then you take it into place, and you be a contender. I don't think his style is very far off from that, so it's not like it's going to be a huge ask. So realistically, it's a good idea from the Predators' perspective of wanting to have you know, X, Y, and Z similar characteristics about a player. But um, Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. I mean, he, he scores goals. He had a hundred points this year. I, I, I don't like the guy, but it would be like any player. If he's on your team, you'd be, you'd be happy to have him because he's a pest, but he can well, score just, goals. Right. But just to reinforce it, we've talked so much about how the Preds didn't have any momentum going to the last 20 of the games. The man knows how to work last minute magic as the Nashville Predators have found out how, I, myself, Abiel Martin, have found out when I tweeted prematurely, like, he knows how to score in the last second or nonetheless .1 second. So I think he could pull it out of him in the last 20 games of the season. But I could be wrong. This is also just me wanting to mess around and chirp with you. So I feel like that's my only job here. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to go with interesting because I agree, Boyd. Assuming Pasternak's not available, if he is, you have to go for him. I like I like line A. I would like to break it, but I'm going to throw out a name that has kind of started to surface a little bit. Again, out of Winnipeg. After the news, Barry Trotz turned down the Winnipeg Jets to coach. There are some players that are unhappy in Winnipeg. And I've seen Blake Wheeler's name thrown around. He's not the guy I would necessarily want. He's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But the other Winnipeg Jet that's pretty darn good, and that's Mark Shifley. Figure that was if, if the Preds could get Mark Shifley, he's not the biggest all-star kind of name, but he's a heck of a player for the Winnipeg Jets. He's got size. He's physical, but he knows how to score goals. He's not afraid to shoot the puck. I, I would love to get Mark Shifley if he's available. If he's not, Alex it. So, again, it's the same situation with Pasternak with Shifley, but it sounds like Shifley might be made available. But I would go, go it of the names that are available right now would be my, my choice. I'm I'm glad you you brought up Wheeler because that one is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's an eight million dollar contract for two more years, which the Preds can absorb it. He was a sixty point player last season, and like we talked about with Line A, he's a big guy. He he plays a physical game, and if you assume that Winnipeg's trying to offload his contract you're probably not paying much of anything to get him. 
you might even be getting assets back with him. Which I know Poyle has said he doesn't want to take on bad contracts, but I don't even know if that's really that bad of a contract because it's only two years. It's not hurting. It's it's almost like a bridge to the the next round of, of prospects coming up in terms of Evangelista and Afanasiev, Svechkov, etc. So that actually would be one I would be curious to take a risk on because if he's if he's healthy and contributing on a Predators team that should be competitive, you might get another 60, 65 point season out of him. And there's such low risk because you're definitely not re-signing him after it. So that that one did sort of intrigue me when it came out. I mean, you look at his stat lines, like you said, he's a consistent 60, 65 point scorer. And he's not too far removed from a couple years where he had 91 points as well. Will he get there again? Probably not. But if you get him for a couple years and you have him produce 60 points on a second, or maybe even if you want to throw him in the first line, it's worth a shot. I, I feel like, though, if the Preds are going to make that big a move, they've got to look at a player that's in their prime or at the beginning. That's why if Poster Knock's available, you got to go for that. And although I, I know Kachuk's an RFA, so you'd have to give up a lot in that sense if you sign an RFA deal. But in that sense, they got to sign Johnny Gaudreau back up there. And Johnny Gaudreau wants like $10 million. I think is part of the deal. Now, I think Calgary does have some cap space too, but I, I think the Preds are going to look to go more of those guys in their 20s unless like Winnipeg says, hey, we'll offload Wheeler and we retain some of that contract and who knows. It, it's going to be interesting because I feel like there could be a trade that Nashville makes this year that's like a big trade for a big Ford. It's just who could it be and what are they willing to give up at this point? Any more thoughts on that one? I don't know. Cause now I'm going back and I'm thinking of different blockbuster trades and how things have, it's never, it's not just one piece for this team is what I keep going back to. And I will also say this. Um, there were talks of it last year. I do not want to see Evander Kane in a Nashville Predators jersey. Off topic, yes, kind of, not really. But I know that I heard that the Preds were in talks with him. And I don't want to see that ever again. <laughs> Go ahead and get that out there. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of moving pieces in this. And I think that you all touched on a lot of good names that would be a suitable spot on the roster and as far as you know financial wise and whatnot um and that's with or without philip forsberg i if he's gone you have to get a star then you have to go from there i don't think that they should look internally you were talking about it for like defensive wise but i don't think they should look internally for oh um tanner Janot step up and become the next star they tried that and i was with ellie tolvin and look how that worked out not that he's a bad player by any means, but everyone thought that he was going to be 
the next Connor McDavid. And that's not how it happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I think with, with Tolvanen, I, the, the thing that I will fall back to with him a little bit is for a, for a good part of the season, he was one of the most positive contributors offensively in terms of scoring chance share, creating shots, et cetera, but was just, I mean, completely snake bit to where I think at least next season, if he's in a similar, similar role in the, you know, 14 to 15 minutes, second power play with just a little more shooting luck, he could, he could get into that 18 to 20 goal range and not without expecting some huge change in his game. So I'm, I'm less concerned about Tolman stepping up a little bit than I am almost about Tanner Janot repeating what he did in terms of scoring 24 goals. And this, this kind of leads me to my last question. You mentioned Evangelista, who's maybe one of the more talked about prospects now in the lineup. I don't think he's going to be there yet in terms of a guy that you see early on here, like next season, you don't want to rush him. You don't want to rush him up to Nashville. Like maybe Tolvanen was a little bit because I think Tolvanen came straight from the KHL Mm -hmm. to playing in a Preds jersey. Yeah. I don't want them to do that with Evangelista because you see what he's done in, you know, with the London Knights. If he can have a couple seasons under Carl Taylor in Milwaukee, hint, hint, we talk about Cody Glass, maybe he can transition a little easier into there. And I don't think the Preds, as Abigail said, and I, I really agree with that, how you can't with the Fords like expect someone to step up within you have to get somebody in that sense and if your only move is going to get a big name this offseason and then fill with some depth guys that you know can help fill those spots or maybe make a free agent move for a you know a guy that can play middle six that's what you have to do. You have to focus on getting that star and allowing those younger guys to develop so they don't get rushed into the scene. And I'm, I'm hope Tolvin is still very young. Tomasino is still very young. There's plenty of time for those guys to make moves. Tomasino at least got a year in the AHL with the Chicago Wolves before he really got up into the NHL. And I think that can help him. They just can't rush Evangelista. He's a once in a yeah. lifetime, once I would say once in a generation draft talent that the Preds have found. And they've got some other guys out there that they drafted last year too. Askarov is a goaltender, though. You can't rush that either. And I think they're going the right approach there too. But right now, if you're a win now mentality, you have to make that trade for that all star player to get you back to where you were a couple years ago when it was 2016, 17 and 17, 18, because you've got pieces at Duchesne, you know, had a career year, Ryan Johansson's finding his form. If you keep Forsberg around Grandland, you have the pieces there. Add a, one or two more 
and we could be talking a different story again here too. Yeah, I, I think that's that's exactly where it's at. Um, the Predators are in a better spot to do this sort of rebuild, bring the young guys up in about two to three years. Two to three years, you're about to the end of the Johansson contract. There's less of the Duchesne contract left. Yeah, you've still got some time left on Yossi, but you're almost to the end of the Ekholm contract. So you're looking at some of those guys in their early 30s starting to move out. And those younger players who are sort of hitting their prime will be just in that in that ready spot to turn the roster over. I think there's much more of an opportunity in about two to three years than there is right now. I, I think that pretty much sums it all up there from all of us. I mean, a lot of good points, and I think it'll be interesting, and we'll see how our predictions fare and everything, and maybe we can recap it here as we get more into free agency. But, uh, again, want to thank Boyd Ferris for coming on here on Bleeding Blue. Boyd, we really enjoyed having you and all your insights and joining Abigail and I being our first guest here on this podcast. I think it brought up a lot of good conversations for topics. I even I even wore blue just to celebrate it. So <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to go ahead and say that was on purpose and and not the shirt I happen to be wearing today. But yeah, absolutely wore it just just to join the show. So um, really appreciate you guys having me. It was a, a lot of fun. Uh, look forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely, and Abigail, I know we got a lot to talk about too. Nashville SC getting ready to go into a big run with the cup match. We'll have a lot to talk about here. Any final thoughts from you before we wrap it up? Boyd, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on. And I, I recognize that you are blue at the very beginning of it. So I automatically assumed you did it on purpose. So I give you all the credit for that. Awesome. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. and Look forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely. For Boyd Farish and Abigail Martin, I'm Sam Fleming. Thanks for listening to Bleeding Blue here on Penalty Box Radio. Make sure to stay tuned. More episodes on the way here in the future.